I kissed at the mic. I kissed at the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I creepy. <laughs> Yeah, you are. Creep, 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 creep. creep. <laughs> what is it? I have those. <laughs> I have those. I have those. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Uh, let's talk about things that I like to talk about. Oh, let's introduce our podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. We that's are- Deanna. Uh, that's Hannah. And that's my cat meowing in he the background. Just has a lot to say. Yeah. We do a podcast about women. Every week we come into your ears and... Come into your ears. <laughs> And we bring you stories about all types of women, sexy and small. What? If you can hear what them. What is happening with my brain? <laughs> okay. Sexy and or small oh and God. or tall and or ugly. Who? We've covered all. Oh. I'm, we're keeping that. That's that's gold. That is pure gold. If in case you couldn't tell, this is not safe for work or children. Fuck, because you got cum in your ears, so you probably. That's not what I said. <laughs> oh god, um, it's your week this week. <laughs> it's my week, but you have something you want to introduce. Yeah, I have something that is that relates to absolutely nothing. Great, I love that. And um, yeah. Oh my god, I'm still. I'm just gonna be embarrassed in my. <laughs> Corner of shame. Don't do it. While you read this to me. All right. So I, I read this on Twitter last night and it just it it was so good and so well written that I have to share. And okay. it's always oh, the Twitter thread. It's a Twitter thread. And the, the the writer is Summer Heacock, who is an author. And she has a book coming out, I think, in March called The Awkward Path to Getting Lucky and Crashing the A-List. I believe it's middle grade or YA. I'm not actually sure. But that's. That's who that's who the author middle is. Middle grade meaning like middle school. Yes. Like literally grade. Yeah. Gr- grades and yeah. Yep. Here we go. She says, "Okay. Who wants to hear a creepy as fuck story that still has the hair standing up on the back of my neck in which I demonstrably banished a ghost from my 8-year-old son's body last night?" <gasps> oh my god, yes. I mean, it's, you've already got me hooked. Yeah. So, my son has been sick all week with the flu, but like real sick he has been laying in bed like this pitiful puddle of melted little dude and it's been really hard to watch last night my 12 year old daughter confided in me that she believes a ghost has latched on to her baby brother it's time for an exorcism um i hear her out she says it's like her brother is gone his eyes look different his voice is weird he's just sort of not there Now, at first, I try to explain what the flu can do to a person, but she persists. She says ghosts can latch on to people, and it's like poison. How old is this kid? (laughs) Twelve. This stalls me. I've heard this before, that a spirit will uh, grab hold and literally, like, uh, sort of pull life out of a person. Now, I don't believe, I used to not believe in ghosts, but my mom has had some shit happen, which I will share at a later time. Now, I don't discount the possibility. I am standing in daughter's doorway and I explain how I once asked a ghost to leave our old house and it did. Seriously, that happened. It was a lot. 
I tell her I'll go into his room while he's sleeping and politely ask, and if there's a ghost, it'll leave, right? I shut her door, which is right next to the son's, my son's door, and look in at him. He's and laying there suddenly, asleep. and I mean I was standing there staring right at him and didn't see him move. He's sitting up looking at me. He says in a raspy voice, I've got those. I piss myself. I slowly walk in and got ask. Got what? Yeah. I slowly walk in and ask what he means, and he repeats, I've got those. I ask, what does he have? And he looks at me with his head tilted down, his eyes all dark, and this creepy fucking smile he has never made spreads across his face. Oh, my God. (laughs) I've got those. He's just staring at me, smiling, this toothy, vicious smile. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I had goosebumps over every inch of me. And then, and then, he starts to fucking spin. Literally spinning on the bottom bunk of his bed, using his feet and his hands, he starts spinning like a motherfucking top. (laughs) What? No. This child hasn't been able to physically walk in days. We have to carry him from room to room, and now he's spinning. I told him to stop, that he was going to hurt himself. He's going faster and faster, and it looks like horror movie CGI spinning on his toes and palms. I was in tears. What? I wanted to scream for my husband, but I was too scared to yell. There's no room for him to be spinning like this without concussing himself, but he spins and spins and spins and hits nothing, and he is still smiling. (laughs) It just keeps going. I finally grab him by the shoulder and sort of sputter to stop or he'll hurt himself. He stops and says, I've got those. What is he talking about? (laughs) I say to lie down and he does this terrifying thing where he folds himself in half sideways with his head underneath him still smiling. I move him like a doll and say, mommy is here. It's okay. Just go to sleep. He passed right out, still smiling and whispered, I've got those. What? So I walk out slowly and did what any reasonable adult would do. I called my mom at 3.30 a.m. her time and lost my shit. Right, because mom is, is the ghost lady. Yeah. She calms me down. We make a plan. And she starts praying for my son while I get off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> she says, y'all, I deadass grabbed our salt, ran in, and drew a line under his bed from one end to the other. Oh, my God. Then I went into this speech to a ghost about, I'm sorry for whatever happened to bring it here. I hope it finds peace, but please get the fuck out of my son, please. And here's where things finally caused me to crack. What? She wasn't cracked before? (laughs) Clearly she was able to go in there and put salt down, so. Okay. Uh, I turn around and all our pets are sitting in a line behind me. No fucking way. All of them. This is fake. (laughs) Just sitting there facing my son. I ran from the room. I'm hiding under a blanket and suddenly our big cat floof and little cat floof who are on the bed with me both stuck their heads up and looked toward the hallway outside the kids' rooms. They just stare for minutes. I started saying, okay, you need to leave the house now. Leave the members of this family alone. You are not welcome in this house, over and over. And finally, both cats relaxed at the same time and carried on like all was well. When my son woke up, he was perky. 
Like, he still has a fever, but he yells from his room, uh, why the hell is there salt under my bed? For the first time all week, he spent the day playing video games and talking and eating, and I don't know. My husband, who doesn't believe in ghosts or spirits in the slightest, is freaked out. He said, I don't know what happened in that rooming. I don't know what happened in that room, but something did. He and my daughter both took notes that son's eyes look normal again. His voice sounds normal again, and he's no longer a melted puddle. And I will never sleep again because I can't get that smile that's spinning, and I've got those out of my brain. What is those? <laughs> I don't know. The end. <laughs> She says, I need you all to know I very literally sweat through my shirt reliving this. Do not want to ever again. This is why I don't watch horror movies, folks. Yeah, but if she watched more horror movies, she'd be better prepared for this shit. (laughs) Anyway, I like Summer. She is uh, an awesome writer and very fun to follow on Twitter. But she's never had a story like that before. That's insane. That I've ever seen. That is insane. I had to share that because it just... You know, children are creepy. Children are. I mean, that boy might have just been creeping her the fuck out because it was super fun. I get yeah, but, it. Cause but I would have do done kids that. Know exactly what to do. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm going to spit like that's some exorcist shit. And if she doesn't even watch horror movies, I'm sure her kids haven't seen horror movies. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's my happy Wednesday uh, story for you. But also the cats. <laughs> The cats. I know. The just pets. staring. That that Because like, the super... ghost left the body and was just in the hallway. Uh-huh. And nope. then the cats were like, all right, it's it's exercised now. I can relax and go back to my go back to my life. I've got those. I've got those. <laughs> yeah, that kid for sure had a ghost in him. Well, that's my story for you. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Well, do you want to hear about a lady? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not a ghost? I do. <laughs> Um, Well, awesome. I uh, want to tell you today about a really fucking cool lady who has um, uh, historical significance in this country, relatively recent historical significance. Um, And uh, it's a continuation, of course, of Black History Month. And I'm going to talk to you today about Jane Bolin. Oh. Do you know her? The name is familiar, but I don't know that I know her. Awesome. You, you might as we get started. Yeah, I might start to recognize, I suppose. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, I'm um, So I'm going to open it up with a quote of hers. Good. And the quote is, Those gains we have made were never graciously and generously granted. We had to fight every inch of the way in the face of sometimes insufferable humiliation. Hmm. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> so let she was a New Yorker. So uh oh, we're gonna talk about New Yorkers. So it's very very on the nose for where we are in this current space. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Jane Matilda Bolin. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. It's B O L A N. So it could either be Bolin or Bolin, but I think Bolin. Anyway, we'll go with it. She was born April 11th, almost your birthday. Oh. 1908. Oh. In Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay. Yep. She was the youngest of four children. Her father, with the most awesome name in the world, Gaius Bolin. Gaius? Yes. I love that name, and probably so does anyone who watches Battlestar Galactica. It's a great name. I know. It's like very Roman. Yeah. Anyway, he was the first black graduate of Williams College and was a prominent uh, lawyer in Poughkeepsie. And her mother, Matilda Emery, was a white British immigrant who died when she was eight years old, when Jane was eight. Oh, sad. Yeah. I, d- it doesn't, I couldn't figure out of what, but so her mom was a white British lady. Crazy. Uh-huh. Um, her father practiced law in Dutchess County for 50 years and was also the first black president of the Dutchess County Bar Association. Oh. Which is fascinating um so jane boleyn said she adored her father and she always knew she wanted to be a lawyer like her dad um she remembered that she would hang around his office after school and always like admire his legal books which i thought was super crazy for a child to just to be like oh legal books let me read let me thumb through these and read them i love me some law i love legalese yep that sounds like really interesting fascinating um but anyway, so kind of the main point is, like, if she was born in 1908, obviously that's a very specific, like, time in history. It's before the Civil Rights Movement. Yep. And she was growing up. She's a mixed-race child, but she's also the daughter of a prominent lawyer. Like, in, it's here in New York. It's not like it's the Deep South. Not that it, New York didn't have its problems. Right. And this was upstate New York, upstate too. New York. So, but so she, the point is that, comparatively speaking, she had a relatively privileged childhood because yeah. her father was educated and she was getting educated um but she kind of um had the the rug pulled out from underneath her um i mean she still obviously as a mixed race kid was subject to you know being made fun of and discrimination oh, God, yeah. Duh, especially because it was like the 1920s when she was growing up and stuff 19 teens um and she would occasionally be denied service at businesses Mm. but what really shook her to her core is she started reading um articles and seeing pictures of extrajudicial hangings of black southerners oh fuck in the naacp magazine which was called the crisis so she realized you know that in the deep south it was like even more scary than the the more like the crisis microaggressions (laughs) that she would experience up where she's from and she hated what was happening to her <laughs> already and so it like further pushed her to want to study law and get further educated so she could do something about it fuck yes um she attended high school in poughkeepsie and was prevented from enrolling at vassar because she wanted to go to vassar college um because it didn't accept black students at oh. the time nice um which is that's fun but in 1924 when she was 16 uh, she enrolled at Wellesley College in Massachusetts, and she was one of two black freshmen. Jesus Christ. That's it. And um, she recalled being mostly ignored by her fellow white students because of the color of her skin, obviously. Um, her college days, she said, were mostly sad and lonely. Oh, Yeah. 
She said that um, she and the only other black student decided to live off campus together as a result of their mutual social rejection, which that is heartbreaking. That is not a reason to become friends with somebody, really. No. God, yeah. I mean, if that's literally the only thing you have in common is just that you are both black students in a white school. And nobody wants to be your friend. Oh, my God. So you might as well be each other's friends. I mean, I hope that they had more in common than that but you would hope but that that being the main sort it would seem the main sort of common denominator i've been an outcast who had to make friends with other outcasts just because that's where we were at and like Mm -hmm. you don't always have shit in common with those people right so no exactly um she had said that these experiences um in college inspired her lifelong interest in fighting social problems poverty and racial injustice in college and obviously her childhood um excuse me Quote, it is easy to imagine how a young protected child who sees portrayals of brutality is forever scarred and becomes determined to contribute in her own small way to social justice, she wrote in a letter at the time of her retirement. Mm. So she was getting ready to graduate college and um, she was excelling in school um, because she was incredibly, incredibly smart. (laughs) Um, But a career advisor at Wellesley tried to discourage her from applying to Yale Law School because she wanted to go to Yale Law School. Um, due to the fact that not only was she a woman, but she was a black woman. Your vagina and your skin color prevents you from really being Your vagina capable. is already a huge problem, but you add your skin color on top of that? Oh, no. Whatever are people going to do? Oh, They're not going to be able to handle you. So the advisor told her to, quote, aim lower. Fuck you! Even though um, she was one of the top students in her class. Um, yeah. It, she it's uh it, she was in the top 20 students in her class and she received the title of Wellesley scholar which was only reserved for the top 20 students in the class but no Yale for you no they that you that's not the right spot for you aim lower um actually her father also discouraged her at first from going to law school um because and this is more of just like a fatherly thing where he said that lawyers had to quote deal with the most unpleasant and sometimes the grossest kind of human behavior. Which that makes it where it's like he is probably worn down after years and years of what he's seen and been like, it's not pretty. Well, you're going to be, you know, exposed to things that are going to make you feel more cynical. And And he was still probably appealing to her, you know, quote, feminine sensibility Mm -hmm. more than anything. Like you're a woman. You don't want to be around these people. And she was his baby, like the youngest baby. So, you know, I think that that probably had something to do. But um. Uh, little did he know she'd already applied to Yale. Um, Good. And despite the discouragement from her career advisor, she got into Yale and subsequently enrolled because fuck you. Um, (laughs) She was naturally the only black student um, at Yale Law School when she enrolled. The one and only. And she was one of three women. Oh, God. That's it. Fuck me. Uh, That's. uh, Yeah. Um, she became then the first black woman to receive a law degree from Yale in 1931. And she, uh, subsequently passed the New York state bar examination in 1932 and was an official lawyer. Hell yes. Yep. So she, uh, before she passed the bar, she was clerking with her father in Poughkeepsie and then she passed the bar and then was practicing law with him for a short period of time. Oh, good. So he wasn't like too worried about her sensibility to like not practice with her. No. 
no, yeah. no, no. That was just when she was like, hey, dad, I want to go to law school. And he's like, let me caution you about yeah. why you maybe don't. Um, but then she did it. And he was like, all right, well, come come on. Very so, cool. You know. All right, dad. That seems pretty progressive. Yeah. Um, she so she was working with him for a short period of time. And then she applied for a job and accepted a job with the New York City Corporation Counsel's Office. Hmm. And uh, naturally met fierce resistance when she applied to join, um, but became the first black person to serve as an assistant corporation counsel in the city. Cool. In that position, she fought for the employment of more black people by private companies trading with the city's government. Okay. Which is good. So when you have people in those rooms who can vouch for disenfranchised groups, it's amazing how like actual change can can. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, she married a, another attorney. His name was Ralph Mizell in 1933. And they were partners in a small law, law firm that they opened in New York City. Uh, they had one son named York with an E. York with an E. York. Um, he was born in 1941. Her husband would go on to become a member of FDR's Black Cabinet. Okay. Before he died in 1943. Mm. Which is pretty early. Again, didn't couldn't figure out how he died, but young. Um, she then remarried a minister named Walter P. Offutt Jr. And he died in 1974. So she like Jeez. long outlived both of her husbands. Um, she also at one point, um, this is the in, I think it was in 1936. Yeah, 1936. She ran for the New York State Assembly as a Republican candidate. Um, she was a lifelong staunch Republican and, um, she meant lost different things in those times. Yeah. But she was when, yeah. you know, she was, you know, in more recent times still, yeah. but it still probably meant something different to her. It, yeah. Um, but she lost, um, but securing the candidacy because she earned the candidacy, um, boosted her reputation in like the New York political scene. Fuck yeah. So people knew who she was. <laughs> so... Um, on July 22nd, 1939, she was invited by um, Mayor LaGuardia um, to go to the World's Fair. And she kind of thought she was there to be reprimanded for something because she didn't know why. <laughs> why would you he's invite like, me? Can you, can you, we're, we are having a meeting. Can you come meet us here? And she's like, oh, shit. No one ever wants to tell me good things. Right. So. She's like, what the fuck? What? Mm. What's going on? Um, <clears throat> but it turns out <laughs> Mayor LaGuardia Wanted to make her a judge. Oh. Mm-hmm. And All so right. that was her swearing in ceremony. <laughs> I think it sounded the way oh it sounded God. in writing is that basically he sprung it on her. Jesus. And she was like, ta-da, we're going to make you a judge today. And she's like, All right. Um, so she was 31 and she became a judge of the domestic relations relations court. Wow, I really can't talk today. Um, the appointment as uh, a judge. Um, made her the first black woman in America to sit on the bench. And also, she was our age. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's amazing. So, and also, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. And um, her swearing-in ceremony obviously made news around the world. I'm sure. The first black woman in America to be a judge. Yeah. And, and for 20 years, she was the only black female judge in the country. Oh, my God. 20 fucking years? Yeah, 1939. So until 1959. Oh, that's are we surprised? <laughs> no, but it's just like, man, it's still I don't know. It, I'm frankly really impressed that 
she it it was 1939. I would have thought when they're like, when was the first black female? I would have erred on the side of extreme cynicism and been like, I don't know, 1975. That's what I would have said. (laughs) Yep. But she was the only one for 20 years. Wow. Uh huh. Um, in an interview with the New York World Telegram the next day after her swearing in, she said that she hoped to show, quote, a broad sympathy for human suffering. I will see enough of it. Oh. What her dad said. Oh, yep. God, You're yeah. going to see the darkest pits of humanity. And her goal was to show sympathy for that level of suffering. As, you know, yeah. Which judges probably should do. Probably should do. As much as possible. God, and he probably, he, I guarantee you, had no, no clue that she would ever be in the position to become a fucking judge. Like, his advice is even more relevant in that situation because right. she's seen both sides. She's not just defending having one. having to weigh fairly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she remained a judge of the court, which was renamed Family Court in 1962. Yeah, okay. So it's like yep. domestic squabbles. Um, she was judge for 40 years. Her appointment was renewed three times by three different mayors. Um, she was required to retire at age 70. Um, she didn't want to retire and was <laughs> yeah. reluctant to do so. She was quoted as saying, they're pushing me out. Aww. But every judge was required, regardless of gender and skin color, to retire at age 70, which kind of makes sense in a certain way. I agree. It <sighs> sucks if you're still, like, mentally spry. Yeah. But I get but it. But not everybody is. Um, her cases included homicides and other crimes committed by juveniles. Non-support of wives and children, battered spouses, neglected children, children in need of supervision, adoptions, and paternity suits. She always chose not to wear judicial robes in order to make children feel more comfortable in her court. Because it's less intimidating. That's really... She was known for wearing pearls. Um, Class act. Yeah. On the bench, Jane was an activist for children's rights and education. She ended the placement of children in child care agencies on the basis of racial origin and stopped the assignments of probation officers on the basis of race. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, but it's no, not surprising, yeah. like segregation of probation officers and, segre- you know, and, Especially and child care agencies. And sure, you know, the white child care agencies, as shitty as they were bound to be, were going to be miles better. Oh, God, yes. Than the other ones. Yeah. But I, yeah, anyway. Wow. Um, She also helped to create a racially integrated center for delinquent boys. Oh. Instead of separating them up. Okay. Uh, She was a legal advisor to the National Council of Negro Women. She served on the boards uh, of the NAACP, the National Urban League, and the Child Welfare League. She received honorary degrees from the Tuskegee Institute, Williams College, Hampton University, Western College for Women, and Morgan State University. She volunteered as a reading instructor in the New York City Public Schools for two years and served on the New York State Board of Regents, reviewing disciplinary cases so she would help out with law stuff. (laughs) Still. She was busy. Mm. After a life of groundbreaking achievements, Jane Bullen died from complications with dementia on Monday, January 8th, 2007. Wow. At the age of 98 in Long Island City, Queens, New York. Long Island City. Um, That's cool. uh, Bolin and her father are featured prominently in a mural at the Dutchess County Courthouse in Poughkeepsie. Oh. And the Poughkeepsie School, uh, School District's administration building is named after her. 
That makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, during her lifetime, judges, including Judith Kay and Constance Baker Motley, cited her as a source for her inspiration in their careers. Oh, good. That was my fear was like it, when it took 20 years for another another black female judge to be appointed i was like i mean people have to be inspired by her but man the these other black women who wanted to be judges yeah i can do it because jane is doing it yeah that's what i was hoping to see so that's awesome did upon her death charles wrangle spoke in tribute to her on the floor of the u.s house of representatives and she is interred at poughkeepsie rural cemetery and yeah she is (laughs) There, I, I both I you stuck the landing. I bookended with the quote, and I didn't realize I did that. I was about to be like, and a quote from her, and it's literally the same one. <laughs> Insufferable humiliations. I mean, that's uh, when you are the only one. I mean, this is what we talked about last week with Bessie Coleman, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody saying, oh, no, you really can't do that. You really shouldn't do that. Uh-huh. You shouldn't even attempt it. And she was like, nah, uh, fuck that. Because it's hard to be a trailblazer. Yep. To be the first one to do something. Because then the spotlight is is extra bright on you. Yeah. And you're expected to. It's like, what is that? Um there's like a quote in scandal of all places where olivia's dad is just like what have i always taught you like you have to be better you have to work harder you have to shine brighter just to be recognized as equal basically yep Yep. and but it's even worse because it's like 1908 she was born in 1908 so not only it shit was hard for women across the board women weren't judges period i mean i'm sure there were a few but like the, the you look at yeah. That at the, the percentage, it's probably like 98% dudes. Yeah. And then she wants to be the first black woman judge. Yeah. I mean, even that quote that you just that you just mentioned from Scandal didn't apply to her because she already was better. She did shine brighter. And they still said, you shouldn't do Yale. You shouldn't even try it. Like, it's not the right place. It's for not the you. right place for you. You shouldn't even attempt it. So she She's was the fighting only against black student. Yeah, she was fighting against even more bullshit than than people have to fight against now. And that's really amazing that she was like, I have no. There's literally no one I can emulate. Right. There is no one who who's done this before me. I that just kind of have to do my own thing. Yeah, and if I if I fail, it will be that much the spotlight will be that much more bright on me when I fail, if I fail. So I can't do that. Like I have to, I have to succeed and clearly like get 5 billion honorary degrees and be on all these committees. And like, because how, how else do you become? to. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know. But how else do you become somebody who like proves that you can do it and be the first person? Well, you know? and it also sets the bar super. I mean, not to say that that that's a bad thing, but it sets the bar super high for like the next person who wants to do that. Well, because true. then the expectation is, oh, well, look how perfect yeah. this first person to do it because the first person to do it had to be perfect. And if you don't, you know, if you're not as perfect or more perfect than this person, which, you know, is an oxymoron, but then <laughs> then then you failed and you don't you're not you don't get to to qualify to like they did. Yep. You don't get to do that. Yep. Inequality's fucked up, man. Yeah, man. God. But she was 
She was badass. That was great. She just was like a hard working, like it didn't seem like she had any, you know, grand aspiration to, to, you know, be anything like the first blah, blah, blah. Right. She just wanted to do it. Yeah. And she did. And like her swearing in made international news. God damn. Right. (laughs) It's so funny. I just I think about that sometimes how how hard we make it for marginalized groups to accomplish certain things or how hard we historically have made it mm-hmm. and and then yet we turn all the cameras on when they do and we act like oh my gosh like isn't this incredible like it's so amazing right and and there's no talk about how like it <laughs> it was discouraged by everybody along the way anyway you want to tell me about some on this day i do there was more exciting ones yeah. I don't know what's up. February it's like a... the end of the year is like really slow and then the new year begins and humans just want to go go buck wild. Yep. So it is February 13th, which it's my roommate's birthday. So Ooh. he doesn't listen to this podcast, but happy birthday to him anyway. Happy <laughs> birthday. Um. <laughs> so and, and it's the day before Valentine's Day. It is the day before Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, witches. Um, it's It's a very witchy day if you let it. I agree. With your love spells and potions. Yeah, man. It doesn't have to be about romantic love. It can just be about love, period. Passion. Passion. Or self-love. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Take a bath. (laughs) Take a bath, y'all. Get yourself a bath bomb and a glass of wine if you're, or cider, like an apple cider if you're not inclined towards alcohol. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? Mm -hmm. And then light a candle. Yeah. Put on some like calming music. Oh, yeah. And just close your eyes. This is the best Valentine's Day ever. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm just imagining it. My right my now. neighbors and um I are going to um watch slasher films. That sounds <laughs> perfect. Isn't there a slasher film called Valentine's Day? Yeah. Uh do it. Yeah. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay, tell me. February thirteenth, fifteen forty two. Catherine Howard. The fifth wife of Henry VIII is executed for adultery. Oh, boy. And she was like 15, I think, when she got executed. Oh. She was like a ba- She was the babiest of his wives. Ugh. And he was old and fat and gross. Uh, not that those things go together, but he was all of those things and had gangrene on his leg that it was like an open wound that smelled all oh. the time. God damn it. And yeah. He was nasty. And she was like young and beautiful and only, you know, was in court to. I mean, she was Anne Boleyn's cousin. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. She was Anne Boleyn's cousin, which is so funny. And people need to get more creative with their naming um, because Henry's wives were Catherine, Anne, Jane, Anne, Catherine, Catherine. (laughs) Oh, my God. No wonder it's always so confusing. And I don't know. How, I used to have like a, a huge obsession with with Henry VIII's wives, and that's how I knew it. I mean, I feel like Jane was the saddest one. Yeah, she died in childbirth. Oh, because it was um, more important to them to save the baby because it was a boy than it was to save her. Well, nothing's changed because really. Catherine of Aragorn had Mary, and then Anne Boleyn had Elizabeth. And uh, and then Jane gave birth to what could have been a viable son. And he was. He lived to be like 13 or something before he died. Um, 
but anyway, they, they, I, they, I read that they think that they probably did like a rudimentary C-section when the pregnancy seemed to be having complications. And of course, in the 1500s, yeah. they didn't know what to do. So Jane died. And Jane oh. was like the one wife that he allegedly actually, like she knew how to calm him down and keep him normal, relatively speaking. Like she was really good at, at calming his sea, or as it were, the tide, yeah. the waves. And making him less of a dick. Yeah. And then Anne of Cleves, he thought was ugly because he married her. It's a She was a political marriage based off of a painting. And he was like, yeah, she's hot. And then she shows him. He's like, ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So they, yeah. Got, they got divorced. And Catherine Howard, who was young and cheated on him, rightfully so, because he was gross. And then Catherine Parr, who outlived him. <laughs> Thank God someone did. I think the Catherines, like the, the bookending Catherines are the ones who who did okay. Because Catherine Maragorn, they got divorced. Anne lost her head. Ugh. Jane died. Anne got divorced. <laughs> Catherine lost her head. <laughs> and then Catherine. Oh my God. Anyway, anyway, I just went on the long rant. Um, anyway, rips Catherine Howard, who died on this day hundreds of years ago. Um, 1633, <laughs> uh, Galileo Galilei arrives in Rome for his trial before the Inquisition. Oh, no. That's going to go really well. Oh. 1689, William and Mary are proclaimed co-rulers of England. Really? Which year? 1689. Okay. Mm. 1914. In New York City, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers is established to protect the copyrighted musical compositions of its members. Uh Uh-huh. Which is really cool. So you can't just steal people's music and make money off of it. All right. I'm into that. Um, 1920. The Negro National League is formed, which was the, it was when baseball was segregated. So it was the the Black Baseball League. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. 1960, I was uh, focused because of the month. Um, yeah. Black college students staged the first of the Nashville sit-ins at three lunch counters in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. On this day in 1960. All righty. Uh-huh. This one's weird and I thought was uh, kind of funny because of your show that you're writing. Oh, my pilot? Uh-huh. Yes. 1961, February 13th, an allegedly 500,000-year-old rock is discovered Near Olancha, California, that appears to anachronistically encase a spark plug. Uh. Oh. oh, this old ass rock that has a spark plug inside of it. Oh my gosh, that's some Doctor Who shit right there, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Uh-huh. I love that stuff. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and then in two thousand four, February thirteenth, the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics announces the discovery of the universe's largest known diamond. White Dwarf Star BPM 37093. Astronomers named this star Lucy after the Beatles song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Huh. It's like a sun that's a diamond. Uh, I would like to have that, please. I want to has. I want to has that. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that diamond. <laughs> it would probably kill you. <laughs> and by probably, I mean definitely. Definitely. It is a star. <laughs> Uh, that's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, went on a rant about Henry VIII's wives and, uh... Oh, my God. Don't get me started! Yeah, we might cut it. <gasps> <laughs> what are you, what are you, what are you excited about this week? 
I'm excited about uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> Honestly, I love Valentine's Day. I me too. Even when I've have been unattached, there's just something I've been unattached most Valentine's yeah. days. Yeah, I think I feel like thinking about it as a celebration of romantic love is wrong. You know what I mean? And in high school, I used to have Valentine's Day tea parties. Did you come to those? Valentine's Day tea parties. I feel like you came to at least one, and Maybe. I made cookies, and I made cucumber sandwiches, yeah, and yeah, 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 we yeah. did tea. I think I came to one. Yeah, and that was like my favorite fucking thing to do was to have tea parties with my friends on Valentine's Day. Yeah, and uh, I just you know I've never been good about celebrating it with Ben. I'm sorry, Ben, um, but I still love it. Although my oldest. My my only Valentine's Day mug that I have left, um, randomly betrayed you. Shattered this <laughs> week, yeah. Like I poured hot water in it for tea, and it split apart, and half of it shot across the room, and then scalding water um, attacked me. And I'm a little wary about the omen of that, but uh, otherwise, you know, Valentine's Day is my my jam, and I'm excited. Aww. So yeah, that's. And that's what I'm excited for. All right. Yeah. Me too. Good. I'm on board with that. Okay. Let's uh let's have a fun Valentine's Day. Hope you enjoyed your pre-Valentine's Day episode of yeah, Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Follow us on social media if you want. I mean You should want. Yeah, you should want. <laughs> We're on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, um, GWBB Podcast. You can yep. email us at gmail.com with that. Uh, we yep. love getting emails. We love people saying hi. We loves it. We loves it. And we love reviews. Uh, we need some more of those, please. Thank you. Please give us some of those. And uh, if you haven't already listened to our little um, insert where we talk about our Patreon, we are on Patreon now. So in case you skipped that, uh, we're at patreon.com slash GWBB podcast. And... Fuck. Yeah. It helps us with hosting and keeping the... All the fees and breaking even. Mm-hmm. Keeping everything running. So we appreciate... Until we get sponsors. Yeah, well. We like having patrons. We feel like Elizabethan um, troops. Yep. And we appreciate those of you who are already contributing. It helps Y'all are fucking more than you know. Rad. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, happy Valentine's Day and uh, peace out, witches. listening to good witches bad bitches thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it good witches bad bitches is hosted by deanna greif me you and you (laughs) hannah ferguson and we're produced by benjamin garst um you can find us on itunes stitcher spotify google play google play pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find us there we're also on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter and facebook gwbb podcast you can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast <laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it 
you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon Bounce.